0: Romans 5, 6, chapter 5, verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God, but God commendeth, God demonstrated His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, not righteous, not good, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I want to talk to you today about your value to God. God bless you. Please be seated. Do you know how much you're worth? Do you know what your net worth is today? I've heard some people check it every day. Not the average, but the median net worth of Americans is $121,760 in 2020 numbers calculated this year. How much is your body worth? You say, not much these days, you know. Well, if you could sell every organ, every chemical, all the tissue, you might be worth as much as $45 million dollars. But then after you sold out, you wouldn't have anything left. So that's not a very good idea. The average price for a human body is likely to fetch more like $550,000. If you tried to value all the raw materials that make up your body, they might only be worth about $600, uh, which is a lot more than it used to be because I've checked on that in the past. Uh, What is your value? How much are you worth? As I was studying this theme and looking for various things on value and worth, I ran across some fascinating information about the value of saving a life. It's called VSL, the value of saving a life. There is extensive research into what a company or a government is willing to pay to save a human life. The studies are clear when you read them that they're not attempting to put a value on human life. Everybody admits that that's impossible. But the purpose is only to determine what price others are willing to pay to save a life or to prevent the loss of life. They say if a girl falls down in a well, we don't say, well, it's going to cost $10 million to get down there and get you. Good luck, you're not worth $10 million. We don't think like that. We do whatever it takes to rescue the girl out of the well. The study of VSL, the value of saving a life, is not the worth of a human life, but of life-saving, of preventing death. Since you can't put a value on human life, you have to determine how much people are willing to accept to risk their own life, to save yours. Thank God for first responders who are trained to run to the danger and not away from it. So you can find this out, and I footnoted my research here, that the value of saving a life for an American adult is something like $11.6 million. That's what you're worth. The VSL for an American child, all the children will be glad to know that you're with worth more than twice as much. You're worth $23.2 million to save the life of a child. I believe that's true when in the church. If we reach a 95-year-old person and they are saved, we would say we saved a soul. But when a 9-year-old child is saved, we can legitimately say we have saved a soul and we have saved a life. The trajectory of their life is totally different because they were saved at nine years old. And this is how VSL is applied to something like highway construction, for example. Uh, We've got a dangerous curve in the road, and we need to see if it's going to be worth spending the money to smooth out that curve to save a life. So we predict the improvement will lessen the chance of dying of each person who goes around that curve. If there are a million people driving that curve, and each one has a reduced risk of dying because of that curve being straightened out a little bit, so it's one in a million. Maybe we just saved one life. That Fixing that curve saved one life. So we would say that the value of saving a life, in that case, is $10 million to regrade the road, and decisions like that have to be made all the time, in business and by government. But I just want to tell you today that God does not calculate your value to Him in that manner. You have incredible value to God. Satan has made a career for all of human history in trying to devalue human life. The life, it seems these days, is cheaper than it's ever been because people are so willing to to snuff out another life. Satan has been trying to make people feel they were not worth anything for eons of time. Started in the Garden of Eden, the serpent, Satan in the form of a serpent, he's subtle and he comes to Eve and he asks Eve a question. It's a preposterous question. Eve, did God tell you that you cannot eat of any Of the trees in the garden. He exaggerates. And Eve of course. Really messes up. Because she starts talking to the devil. That is your first mistake. When you start negotiating. With the devil. You need to be like Jesus. Who responded to temptation. By saying thus it is written. God in flesh. Quoted the written word of God. To deal with the devil. You and I are not smart enough to outthink him or outsmart him, but the word of God will put him in his place. So the woman said, we can eat of any tree we want except for that one. That one, God said, you can't eat it or touch it. God said, don't eat it. Maybe Adam told her, don't touch it. He figured that was a standard to protect the violation of the prohibition given by God. The devil says back to the woman, You will not surely die. You're not going to die. Verse 5, Genesis 3. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes will be open and you shall be as gods. In the original, it's like God, not small G O D S. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan alludes to this idea to Eve. Look, Eve. God doesn't really love you. If God loved you, he wouldn't put this prohibition on you. If God loved you, he'd never tell you no. If God loved you, he would never try to protect his own power to try to keep you from being like him. So all of these do's and don'ts is just God trying to protect himself. And he doesn't really love you, Eve doesn't value you Eve he's he's trying to hold you down while he exalts himself he's trying to devalue God's perspective of Eve in the eyes of Eve so Eve would believe that maybe God doesn't really love us maybe God doesn't really care maybe God is trying to keep us from something that's really good so Eve believes the devil. She believes that God doesn't have her best interest at heart. God doesn't really care for her. So she believes the devil eats the fruit. Her eyes are open. She sees the good and evil. Adam joins her in that sin. They are now filled with shame and nakedness. They're running and hiding from God. Because now that your eyes have been opened, sin is what devalues you. Sin is what really lowers who you are in your own estimation. And the Bible is clear that they experience death by sin. But God, God still loves his disobedient children. He sheds innocent blood. He covers Adam and Eve with the skins of those innocent animals. And this begins the story of the Bible, of God initiating the rescue, of God reaching to restore mankind to a place of fellowship with Him and relationship with Him. If we did not matter to God, then human life would have ended in Eden. God would have pulled the plug on our planet way back then, but instead, With the first sin, God had a plan. That a descendant of the woman, referring to the Messiah, would crush the head of the serpent. That God loves us so much that from the beginning, He is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. From the first sin, God already had a cure to bring us back to Him. Amen. In the Bible... It is very clear that God has a high value of you. In our text, Romans chapter 5, the Bible says, I want to go through this verse by verse. For when we were without strength, Romans 5 and 6, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Without strength it's so true in the Bible that we were powerless to save ourselves. Our sin has separated us from God. There's nothing you can do. There is none righteous, no, not one. You can't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And in our sinful condition, we are totally lost. But in due time, or just in time, or as Paul would write in Galatians, in the fullness of time, God would come and, and Christ would die for the ungodly, sinless innocent blood of Jesus Christ freely given to cover sin this is remarkable and it is remarkable because of what Paul writes under the inspiration of the holy ghost in verse 7 for scarcely for a righteous man will one die and yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die now he's saying that if if you're lucky i don't want to use the word lucky but You might find somebody who would die for you if you were really a righteous person. You were a law-abiding citizen, an upstanding person, righteous in your character. Scarcely could you get anybody to die for you as righteous as you are. But peradventure, perhaps, maybe you could find somebody who would die for a good person. Now, I have read about righteous and good and It's hard to distinguish what is meant here, except that maybe a righteous man isn't all that likable. But a good man is both righteous and likable. A friend, somebody that you kind of favor them, and peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But not many are willing to do something like that. When it comes to giving out my life or your life, I'm going to calculate the value of saving your life. What is your life worth compared to my life? Are you worth more than me that I would be willing to lay down my life for yours? What's the value? And Jesus said in John 15:13, greater love. Hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. In Romans five and eight, Paul said, "But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us." You may feel like a righteous person today, and you might even think of yourself as a good person today. And you should be righteous, and you should be good. And last week I preached on the on the righteous and the wicked, but when Christ died for us. You nor I were righteous and we were not good. Our value to life and God was zero. If you were to try to calculate his life for yours, there is no way to say that God calculated the VSL and said, I'm willing to lay down my life for them for what they're going to bring to me. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the miracle of the gospel. That while we were unrighteous and while we were bad, that Jesus Christ died for us. And in the gospels, we we see the stories of people who kind of explain or express by their lives this idea that we don't deserve what Jesus Christ did for us. Zacchaeus, the crooked tax collector, was not righteous He was not good, but he repented, and of him Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus, in another occasion, decides to go out of the normal route to go through Samaria, that bad neighborhood, the one that Jews would circumnavigate if at all possible. But he goes to Samaria, he goes to the city of Sychar. It is there that he meets a woman who is not worth it. She's been married five times. Five past husbands. She is living with a man out of wedlock. She is certainly not the kind of person that brings value to the kingdom of God. But it is to the woman at the well that Jesus brings a message of hope and forgiveness and of living water so that she would never thirst again. The Gospels give us these case studies of people who had no value as we would calculate the value of a righteous or a good person. And then there is the woman who is dragged away From an immoral encounter to the feet of Jesus Christ. John 8 and 4, the woman is taken in in adultery in the very act. And these accusers say to Jesus, Moses in the law commanded us that she should be stoned. Now it had probably been a long time when that law was followed, but they're going to pull it up anyway. They say to Jesus, what do you say about it? These supposedly righteous people condescendingly looking at this woman wanting Jesus to judge her. And Jesus stoops down and takes his finger and he starts writing on the ground, doodling, People speculate he's writing their sins or whatever. doesn't say anything about that. They're trying to catch him in his words. But then this last phrase of John 8 and 6, the Bible said, as though he heard them not. He's ignoring them. He heard what they said, but he's acting like he didn't hear a word of that at all. If you ever want to know what God thinks about you when you start accusing other people, he acts like he's ignoring you. I don't think that really sunk in. When you decide you're going to judge everybody else, God stoops down on the ground and he starts doodling around as if he didn't hear you because you're aligning yourself with Satan who is the accuser of the brethren. Oh, they, they don't give up. They keep asking him. Well, he stands up and he looks at all these accusers and he said, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And then Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground again. This is one of the most amazing passages, the reaction of Jesus Christ. They heard it, being convicted by their own conscience. They went out one by one from the oldest to the youngest. Thank God they at least had a conscience and acknowledge of their own sins. That they were standing in the place of judgment when they themselves were worthy to be judged. And the only one in that conversation or in the universe worthy to judge by the law. He is the law embodied. He looks at the woman, John 8 and 10. He lifted up himself and saw none but the woman. He said to her, woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. If we're going to take a poll in the church If we're going to calculate the value of saving a life, this woman is on the bottom of the list. She does not deserve it. But God loves her anyway. The Apostle Paul wrote, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. The Bible is very clear that true love is not demonstrated. It is not really known by the fact that we would love God, because that is a no-brainer. The real conundrum, the real thing that is impossible to fathom is what John wrote in 1 John 4 and 9. And this was manifested the love of God toward us. Because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might believe through Him. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the satisfying sacrifice for our sins. This is how we know that we have value to God, not because we love God, but because God stooped so low and came so far that being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in What I want you to see today is that God did not do the math to see what we would give back to Him. Amen? For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. It is not by works of righteousness that we have done, but it is according to His mercy that He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. I want to repeat it that God did not calculate the worth of your soul based on the value that you would add back to the kingdom of God. He laid down his life for us because he considered the worth of our soul. The Bible said, what little shall it profit a man? gain the whole world and lose a soul or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul your soul is the most valuable thing that you possess and God values your soul Amen. regardless of your value that may be brought by saving your life by other means. sometimes in culture we see those amazing rescue attempts like a person stuck in a well or people that are in an impossible situation, where they cannot save themselves. I was reading this story that happened just a few years ago in 2018. Along the border between Thailand and Myanmar, there's a mountain range called the Doi Nang Non, And under this mountain range are caverns and caves, a whole system of them, a limestone complex known as the Tham Luang Dang Non. Not a good old American Smith or Jones name. miles long. As many deep recesses and narrow passageways and tunnels winding under hundreds of miles of limestone strata. Parts of the cave, uh, the system experienced seasonal flooding. So because of that, at an entrance to the cave, there is a sign advising against entering the cave during the rainy season. Now the rainy season there. That part of Thailand on the border of Myanmar is from July to November. Without warning, tunnels in the caves can become impassable by flooding from torrential rainfall, and it can happen very quickly. On well, Saturday, June 23rd, 2018, a group of 12 boys between the ages of 11 and 16 were part of a local soccer team, They call it football in most parts of the world. They went into the caves. They were called the wild boars. That was the name of their soccer team. Their coach, assistant coach rather, was 25 years old. His name was Ekipon Kantawang, took them on this adventure. They left their bicycles and some belongings outside the cave at the mouth of the cave. And they went in. And then they went missing. They did not come back. According to early news reports, they had planned to have a birthday party in the cave after their soccer game. But sudden, continuous rainfall flooded the tunnels in the cave, and this soccer team was stranded in there. Days went by without any relief from the rainwater would not recede. There was no contact The stranded boys for more than a week. Efforts to locate this group were hampered by the rising water levels and strong currents inside the cave system. This team of young boys caught the attention of the world. And the cave rescue effort expanded into a massive operation amid the intense worldwide public interest. There's there's boys stranded in a cave. Let's go get them. You might remember this story from 2018. International rescue teams rushed to Thailand to help. On July 2nd, after advancing through narrow passages and muddy waters, the British divers John Volathan and Rick Stanton found the group alive. These boys and their coach were stranded on an elevated rock about two and a half miles from the mouth of the cave. There were failed rescue attempts there was an elaborate rescue plan that was devised. But days dragged on and the conditions were extremely difficult. Once the plan was in place, two divers would escort each of the boys out. The boys would be tethered to a lead diver and another diver would follow behind. I saw a graphic and between services learned more information that each boy was placed on a stretcher. But they full face dive mask. One boy had a smaller frame and his mask had to be duct taped to his face. The rescue required the boys to be dived out of the cave and because it was so dangerous and they probably could not handle the darkness, each of them was fully anesthetized. They were sedated so they could be taken out. I read between services this presented unique practical and ethical challenges for the rescue team. There were major departures from normal anesthetic practices that were required. Taking anesthetized children underwater was unprecedented. It was complex and it was dangerous. But to do this underground in a flooded cave meant that the risks were extreme. But one by one, these boys were reached. The resources required to do this were immense. This rescue effort involved as many as 10,000 people, more than 100 divers, scores of rescue workers, representatives from about 100 governmental agencies, 900 police officers, 2,000 soldiers, 10 police helicopters, 7 ambulances, more than 700 diving cylinders and My cousin at that time was stationed in in Panama City Beach, which is like the, the naval dive training center of the world, and guys there were in touch with people that they had trained in Thailand. They had to pump more than 1 billion liters of water out of those caves. That's over 264 million gallons of water. The cost was immense. Not just in resources and time and money, But also in human lives. Two men on the rescue teams lost their lives in the effort. While coming back from delivering some air tanks to the boys, Suman Gunan, he's 38 years old. A former Royal Thai Navy SEAL, probably trained by our Navy SEAL trainers, was trapped in a small section. He ran out of oxygen and he died of asphyxiation. Saving those boys. The following year, in December of 2019, a rescue diver who was also a Thai Navy SEAL named Beirut Pakbara, he died of a blood infection that he contracted during the operation. These men gave their lives to save the lives of others. But in all, when it was said and done, all 12 of the boys and their coaches, their coach was rescued. It's an amazing story there's been documentaries and a movie or two maybe made about this. An extraordinarily, extraordinary effort that had an amazing happy ending. But when I read about this story in their numerous accounts, it was amazing to me that no one on that rescue team esteemed their life more valuable than the lives of those boys and their coach who were hopelessly trapped. How much did it cost? 18 days, 10,000 workers, mostly done by volunteers, worth millions and millions of dollars, from nine to 300 to 500 million. I've read. He tried to calculate all the volunteer hours, but the rescuers—they believed that those boys were worth saving. They had never done anything for the rescue workers. Those boys were young teenagers, 11, at least one. Like every sinner ever saved by Jesus Christ, those who gave their lives to save them valued the lives of those boys. No one sat around trying to calculate the cost. What's it gonna cost? How long is it gonna take? What are we gonna have to do How many doctors are going to help us? Boys maybe had to be repeatedly anesthetized as they were brought out of the caves. They just did the work, and they saved the boys. The money and the manpower, the lives lost in the rescue to the rescuers, it was deemed worth it. I can't find anyone who's ever said, before we go in and save them, we're going to try to find out if those are good boys. Before we go after them, let's find out if they are righteous boys. Nobody thought about that. They're just lost. And we think we can get them. And we will. There's a story in the Bible that mirrors this story to me. When Jesus was crucified, according to Matthew 27, 38, he was crucified between two thieves one on his right hand, and one on his left. One of the malefactors, Luke tells us, that was hanged with him, railed on him. And he said, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. The other side, that thief, as he is dying, has a change of heart. And he rebukes that first thief and says, Do you not fear God, saying we're under the same condemnation and and we're dying justly, but, but this man has done nothing amiss. He recognized the innocence of Jesus Christ. And he said to the Lord, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Through his excruciating pain, that thief looked into the eyes of Jesus Christ said, remember me. And Jesus did. I want you to think about the value of saving the life of that thief on the cross. He had literally no perceived value. He lived his life as a malefactor, a criminal. And he's dying a thief. His whole life is coming to an end. He's getting what he deserves. He deserves to die. He had done nothing to deserve the love of God. He would never volunteer at church, never return his tithes to the Lord, never give to missions. I imagine he could never give to imagine. He didn't have any time to go make amends for all the wrongs he had done. Couldn't give back any money could it say, I'm sorry. He couldn't fix any of the mess that he'd spent his life making. He's hanging there and dying. He's powerless to add value to anyone or anything. Before sundown that day, the Roman soldiers would come by. And with their expertise, they would take those mallets and they would break the legs of both thieves. Reducing their ability to hold themselves up on the cross. Because the Sabbath was coming, those men would sag on the cross. By asphyxiation, they would die. And Jesus laid down his life. He was died before the soldiers got there. If you knew his case, if you knew this man, You would have not given him a prayer. No hope at all. But at the end of his life, in the end of his life, all he had was a prayer. And that prayer was enough. I would dare say there's no one in this house today that is despicable as this thief. He is another case study into the grace of God, into the mercy of God, that God never has and never will calculate what you can give back to Him. For He freely gave His life for you. And I want you to know today that on your worst day, He loved you unconditionally. He shed his blood freely that you have incalculable value to God. Your value to God is not based on anything you've ever done or ever will do. It is based by the unmerited favor and love of God. He purchased you with his blood. Amen. He saved you and redeemed you. loved us when we were unlovable. For all of sin comes short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And in our text, Romans 5 and 8, but God. But God. If you're righteous, scarcely, you might find somebody to die for you. If you're good, perhaps, you'll find somebody to die for you. But God demonstrated his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to know today that you are a soul worth saving. Quit talking to the devil who's making you believe that you have no value to God. That you've messed up too much that there's nothing salvageable about your life. And if you are saved, I want you to know that on your worst day as a saint, that if God loved you enough, if he spared not his son to save you, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? In other words, whatever you need to be saved, to stay saved, God has those resources for you to save you and to keep you like for you to bow your heads right now. And I'd like for every intercessor to pray with me. When I say intercessor, I mean every spirit-filled person to pray for a lost person right now or a saved person who is struggling to believe that God loves him. Would you pray? Because this message is for somebody today who desperately needs to know their value to God. Let's pray right now. Lord God, Hallelujah. That's it. However far he has to go, he's like the shepherd that keeps searching until he finds the lost sheep. He's like the woman who keeps searching the house until she finds the lost coin. He is like the father of the prodigal who always waits until his wayward son comes home. Would you thank the Lord for the unspeakable gift of salvation, for the unmerited love of God, for the price he paid for you? Now as you receive what the Lord has spoken to us through the gifts of tongues and interpretation because God has accentuated this message with a giant exclamation point. This message is about the love of God reaching for you. But this message from the Lord to underscore this message is a divine ultimatum that you do not have the luxury of time. You only have today.